The presenting sponsor of the Canny Climate Dialogues podcast is the University of Auckland's International Office, and we owe them a huge thank you for their support. The University of Auckland's International Office is proud to sponsor the Canny Climate Dialogues podcast series, and we hope to continue to make them proud with this current season and upcoming episodes. As you can imagine, New Zealand is a unique place to think about climate through the lens of their Indigenous cultures. Leading the world's universities in the Times Higher Ed Global Impact Rankings for the first two years of the rankings, as we all work towards the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the international team at the University of Auckland share your concerns, including your concern about climate action and international education. The University of Auckland is answering the world's call. Welcome to the Canny Climate Dialogues, the podcast at the intersection of international education and climate action. I am your host today, Kelly Davis, and this is our third episode of the Travel with Canny series, today featuring Piet van Hove, EAIE's current president, who traveled by train from Antwerp in Belgium to Barcelona in Spain in September. Before we jump into the conversation, some quick housekeeping. First, I'd like to give the friendly reminder to subscribe to our podcast feed wherever it is that you lend your ears to the Canny Climate Dialogues. And if you're one of our friends who listens on Apple Podcasts, let us know how you like the show with a friendly rating. Second, if you missed Canny's Climate Action Week last week, be sure to keep an eye on the event page for the recordings of the sessions, which you can now watch on your own time. Head to canny.org to check them out or find the link in the show notes. Now take a listen to this episode where I talk to Pete Van Hova about his experiences traveling solo to Barcelona by train. Stick around to the end of the episode where Pete discusses what EIE is doing to encourage sustainability in the sector and mentions some of the association's initiatives and some handy resources. Welcome to the Canny Climate Dialogues today. I am your host, Kelly Davis, and I'm pleased to be here with our guest, Pete Van Hova, uh, who is president of EAIE, <laughs> the series of vowels that are difficult to say in one go in English. Um, but Pete, thank you so much for being with us here today. And I would like us to start by having you introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you work and more about your, your roles. Uh, yeah, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for the the invitation and for the the chance to talk with you about uh, about Canny and, and climate action in in uh, in our sector. Um, yes, my my name is uh, Pete. I uh, in September I became the president of the EAIE, the European Association for International Education, as you as you mentioned. Uh, I was the vice president for for two years before that. Uh, working with Michelle Stewart, who was then the president, and now for the next two years, I will be uh, president. Uh, now, this is um, the EAIE is a member organization and a member-led organization. So my position as as president and board member is uh, an elected position, um, and uh, we have a uh, an office in Amsterdam uh, with uh, staff working for the association. Uh, but uh, my position is. Uh, as a board member and, and uh, president, but my uh, paid job, let's say, is at the University of Antwerp in Belgium, where I've been working in internationalization uh, actually for 25 years. I just had a little shock recently when I was invited to the reception for staff members who have been uh, working for the university for 25 years, which is a difficult to imagine. But anyway, so uh, and I started uh, 25 years ago um as a project officer working on uh, Erasmus and, and different um, European programs 
Uh, I later became the uh, head of the international office uh, of the university, which a position I held for 15 years. And now, as I said, my, my main occupation is actually uh, with the EAIE for the coming years. Um, and But my, my work in international education has been uh, on different aspects, on collaboration projects, on uh, north-south uh, capacity building projects, uh, mobility, uh, but also internationalization of the curriculum and uh, internationalization at home. So on, on all these uh, different aspects. A number of different topics there that we may have to invite you back for at some point. Um, but hopefully the 25 years seems impossible or unlikely because time flies when you're having fun, fingers crossed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's a, it's a sector and a, a profession um, where I, I think, um, and that's very relevant to our topic of today, I see most of the colleagues in this sector are very passionate about what mm. we do and about... Uh, uh, what we can achieve in international education and bringing people together. Let's say that's the bottom line. Very often is bringing people together uh, to think together, work together and exchange ideas. And so, yeah, that's something we can still be passionate about uh, after many years. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And so it's something that's super important, but I think one of the things that's on canny members' minds is making it more sustainable. And we have you here today to tell us about your travel with canny journey or your sustainable travel journey um, to the most recent EAIE conference in September uh, in Barcelona. So uh, how did you hear about travel with canny and what inspired you to participate? Um, I knew about canny already for for uh, the past uh, year or two um, through different people within and outside the EIE uh, and, and in different places. Uh, I'd heard about uh, about CANI actually with the EIE, we, we signed the CANI Accord. Um, and so it was on our agenda. And then I guess I heard about the, the specific initiative. Of course, we with the EIE itself, we were also promoting or thinking about how to promote green travel and uh, sustainability, uh, both for the conference and, and more broadly has been for many years uh, a very important priority for the association. Um, and so obviously it was on our minds. Uh, but then, yeah, the specific CANI initiative, which was a really good way to, to let's say, um, put it on, on uh, the agenda of more people and to it was kind of a campaign, I would say, communication campaign uh, leading up to the conference that uh, many volunteers, canny volunteers, were uh, involved with. And so that was also, I, I learned about it probably through uh, LinkedIn or, or different posts on various platforms. Um, and I think it's, uh, for me, it was an obvious thing to to uh, to look into at least or, or to see if it was possible. And for me, it turned out to be uh, easier than expected, actually, to to uh, travel to Barcelona from Belgium uh, by train. I was pleasantly surprised, actually, at how, well, uh, how, let's say, um, at the duration of the journey and, the, you know, the simplicity of it um, was actually surprisingly easy for me. So um, it wasn't a difficult choice. Well, it's a wonderfully positive note to start off from and perfectly leads into kind of getting some of getting us oriented about what your journey was like. So you started in Belgium. I want to know exactly where in Belgium you started your trip and how long was that duration? 
Um, well, I traveled on a Sunday, which may or may not, I think, uh, have had an influence on the availability of trains. But, um, well, my home is in Antwerp, which is half an hour from Brussels uh, by train. So I, that's a route I take very regularly for meetings in Brussels. That's half an hour. And then the international trains mostly start from Brussels uh, South stations, station, uh, Brussels Midi. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, you have the international high-speed trains. There's the Eurostar that goes from there there's the, to London. There's the Thales that goes to Paris or Amsterdam. Um, and there are different uh, TGV, so uh, French uh, fast trains. Also, the ICE German fast trains also come to Brussels. So I knew that that was kind of a central point uh, for, for catching an international high-speed train, so I, I checked uh, availability from, from Brussels, and uh, I was able to get to Barcelona with one change of trains uh, in about nine hours. So I left Brussels, I think it was 10 or 10.30, um, and I got to, in the morning, and I got to uh, Barcelona by um, 7, 7.30 in the evening. Which it's a full day, but anyway, when you when you travel, um, it usually ends up taking a day, uh, give or take a few hours. So to me, that was perfectly fine. Sure. And did you travel both ways then, to or to and from Barcelona? Yes, I did. And actually, the route was slightly different on the way uh, over to Barcelona. My change of trains was in Valence, in the south of France. So actually. Um, the train I took from Brussels was actually the TGV straight from Brussels to, I think it's to Marseille. Uh, you don't have to change in Paris for that. Uh, so, And then uh, in Valence, I uh, got off and I had to wait for about 45 minutes for uh, another train that actually went from Lyon to Barcelona. And that had a stop in Valence. So uh, that made it quite uh, an, an, an efficient uh, journey. So... The first part was about uh, four hours, I think, uh, then 45 minutes uh, wait, and then another four hours from Valence to Barcelona. And then on the way back, uh, the duration, total duration was about the same, but then the change was in Paris, which is a little bit more inconvenient because then you have to go to a different station. So I mm-hmm. took the Barcelona to Paris, uh, Gare de Lyon, I think it is. Then you get to Paris and then you have to go by uh, metro to Paris North and then catch the Thales to Brussels. Um, but the total duration was about the same. So it sounds like transferring in Valence was definitely the, the oh, preferred. Yeah. <laughs> but my, that leads me to, I think, the biggest issue with, with this kind of travel is that it's kind of difficult to find out about the different possibilities, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the different uh, um, connections that are possible. And uh, I I know I spent quite a bit of time trying to find, you know, the best possible connection. And when you search on one website, it doesn't show you the same possibilities as when you search on another website. And it's not very seamless. Um, and yeah, I guess it has to do with uh, the fact that the rail companies are our national rail companies in Europe in the different countries. Uh, and I ended up actually uh, the, the buying the ticket and finding the, the best connections on the French uh, website, SNCF Connect, 
uh, is a website and an app from the French railways. And since the largest part of my journey was in France, uh, that makes sense. Uh, but that was finally the, the, the website that gave me the best options for this journey. That's a very good tip. And I, uh, so fun fact, I was a European studies major when I did my undergraduate. So I actually have this map that's behind my computer up on the wall. Um, and I love this map because the everything is in the, the national language of all the countries. So I can't even read some of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm looking at it because I'm trying to pinpoint in Marseille, I know where that is in Lyon, but it sounds like the routes, they were slightly different. So did you end up seeing some different scenery of France as you were traveling? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you go down the, the Rhone Valley, I guess, on the on the way to, to Marseille. Uh, so that's it's kind of uh, nice scenery. You have before you reach that part, you, you see a much more flat and agricultural part of France. That's the northeast, I guess, of France. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And um, what I forgot to mention is actually that the train from the second train I took on the way down was the Spanish train. So the one from uh, Lyon to Barcelona, that was a, a Spanish train. But still, I was able to buy the ticket, as far as I remember, on the, the French railway uh, website. So, but that's that's the, I think that's the, the biggest problem right now with longer distance rail travel in Europe is that it's sometimes you have you end up having to buy separate tickets for different parts of the journey and then you're not really protected when one train has a, a delay and you miss the next one and so I think that's what's really the biggest obstacle right now uh, to you know having uh, to people actually using it more um, mm -hmm. is that there's just a lot of uh, uncertainty whether you're finding the best possible options. Of course, there's price. Um, maybe I should mention that my ticket, uh, return ticket, was about 300 euros, uh, which slightly more than I would expect to pay for a flight. I think for for a busy uh, route like Brussels Barcelona, I'd probably end up paying about 200 euros for a return flight usually. Um, and do you think that part of that, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, did you take the the faster trains that were available? Yeah, um, I took, yeah, the shortest possible journey time, I guess. Um, and that's another issue, I think, is that um, you have to plan a little bit in advance to, to not, because these the the prices of the tickets <clears throat> on on the fast trains are variable pricing, so it depends mm -hmm. on how full the, the train already is. So you have to plan a little bit in advance. But then on the other hand, the uh, the tickets are only available uh, depending on the different uh, companies and and routes are available six months, four months, or three months before the journey. So you can't plan very long in advance. So you have to find that, and that's yeah, that's the tricky part. I think yeah, there's only like a few weeks. Then that's the ideal time frame to to buy the ticket. Um, uh, so that's uh, the an issue, and the the price is is definitely uh, an issue. I, I I could have saved money by um, I know some colleagues who took who didn't take the the TGV the fast train, but who took the traditional trains, night trains also. Um, and then you have to change at the French-Spanish border. 
uh, you have to change trains. So it will be several more changes and and I think a much longer journey. If you if you take the night train from Benelux uh, cities to Barcelona, I think it would have taken close to twenty four hours uh, journey oh, wow. time. Yeah. But are those And cheaper? yeah, they would be cheaper. Well, They but would then be cheaper. you have the the different options on uh, you know the sleeper trains. You have options for being you know in a compartment with six people or with uh, three or two people or so. So that would take the price up. But the the basic ticket on those trains is definitely cheaper than the. I, my guess is about half the price of the fast trains. Yeah, so it sounds like you definitely have to kind of measure what time is valuable to you. Do you want, uh, even if you're on a sleeper train, if it's taking 24 hours, then there's still a good ch chunk of time when you're awake. So, you know, are you working at that time? Is the cost Yeah. benefit that it's cheaper? So there's a lot to consider. Yeah, and it's a very personal issue. Um, you know, on your depending on your personality, people some people would love having ten hours to read a book. Uh, other people would get very nervous. So also on the fast trains, the, the, you have internet. Uh, it's not always very reliable, but you can stay somewhat connected. Uh, I think on the the slower trains, yeah, you may have your your regular cellular. coverage but um, there's not going to be internet on the train so that's a very personal preference I think for some people it's great to have that time um, and yeah to have the, the experience of slow travel and to just see the scenery I think for me and, and many other people it's a bonus I think Yeah, I love looking out of train windows when there's nice scenery to be to be gazed yeah upon. But was there anything that surprised you about traveling for this longer period of time via train uh, or anything unexpected that occurred? Uh, well, luckily there were, there were no major disruptions on my journey, so that's that's good. I didn't miss any connections or anything. Uh, what surprised me, well, I don't know if it was super surprising, but the the trains I took were all quite full, uh, and you know that's on the one hand it's a good sign. Many people are taking the train, but it's also yeah it reduces the comfort level a little bit if you're uh, if you're not traveling with with uh, people you know. Uh, and um, the train is very full, then it's it's a little bit less comfortable, I would say. Um, but but nothing bad. I mean, it's still better than uh, than an airplane. So, um, Yeah. but uh, no well what what uh, was very nice on the way on the way down I, I saw a couple of people also going to the conference um, uh, but I didn't really spend much time with uh, talking to them on the train because it was so full and uh, but on the way back uh, there were some people on the train that I knew quite well
and you have nothing better to do than to to talk to each other and learn from each other, which <laughs> which is great. Um, so that's I think that's an advantage, and it's a, I would say um, it's also a reason for planning this. Uh, I mean, if you can arrange it in a way that you're traveling together with you know your own colleagues from your own university or or people that you can coordinate with. Uh, for parts of the travel, that's that's a great bonus too, and I think it's often possible. But it's 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 uh, good to have that kind of platform, like travel uh, with Kenny, as you know, to communicate beforehand, to exchange information on what routes are there, who's taking which train, and getting together. I think that's great. I think uh, I hope to see more of that uh, mm -hmm. in the future. Well, it sounds like the answer to this next question is yes, that you would consider traveling by train again um and it's and it sounds like you might next time try to do it with more people so you have some more of those conversations but the general question is you know do you plan on doing this again are there is there anything else you hope to try differently um no in general i would say yes uh, i mean any connection any any route that's possible like within one day uh, i would definitely mm -hmm. Uh, uh, look very seriously at the, at the options and but I mean price will be an issue sometimes but uh, anything that you can do comfortably within a day I would always uh, prefer the train um, and um, yeah as, as I said if, if you can do it together with with other people that you know then it's then it's a no-brainer almost I mean it's it's so much less stressful than uh flying or uh, you know having connecting flights and then there's always possibilities of of disruptions and and strikes and whatever but that's the same problem for flying as for train travel i guess both are um can 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 be disrupted and that's then uh, not pleasant but i don't think it's a big difference between flying and uh, rail travel yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like weather, right? And well, yeah. you're less sometimes less susceptible to weather. Yeah, exactly. When you're weather actually, uh, oh, weather is one where flying would be more disrupted than 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 train travel. But there are other. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so many possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> for getting stuck different places, but um, yeah. Travel is always, uh, to some extent, uh, stepping into the unknown and taking some, you know, risk of of, of different things happening, which is the, the negative part, but also the positive part. I mean, it's always the things that are memorable or the things that really uh, change you or that you really learn from are usually the, the unexpected things and the unexpected things you encounter or people you encounter. So that's actually... Uh, a good thing about train travel i think that it's a bit slower it has more opportunities yeah. for um, having different experiences and it's, a, it's such a good point it's kind of speaks to what we talk about in inter international education is one of those goals of of yeah. challenging oneself to go into the unknown or ambiguous kind of situations with unanticipated outcomes um, but I mean, are there are there any words of advice that you might have for people who are interested in trying to convince even their colleagues uh, or other people around them to also travel by train or some, yeah. some more sustainable measures? <laughs> I think the 
I believe more in positive, uh, positive enforcement or positive, not enforcement, but encouragement, let's say, um, uh, not so much shaming people for, for flying, but more showing that it's possible to travel by train. It's pleasant. It's, it's, it's a nice, um, experience and, and just showing by example that, you know, telling people that, okay, I went to Barcelona by train. It worked really well. It was really nice. And if people, I think people are willing to change their behavior if they feel that, you know, everyone is doing it or people, you know, that they don't have to be the one doing it and others won't. If, if they feel that more and more people are, are, are doing it, it's working. I think that will be the way to, to really convince more people when it gains some momentum, you know, and I think it will. I mean, there's, a lot of goodwill and a lot of uh, interest in exploring these these better options. Maybe it already is, you know, apart from we're trying to really instill it in this sector to do it when possible. But it sounds like if the, those trains are more crowded than expected. I mean, maybe a Sunday yeah. is just a really busy day to travel from from uh, Belgium. Yeah, but my Leon, impression but... is also from from I take the, the train, the Thales, for example, regularly to to Amsterdam uh, hmm. because the AIE office is in Amsterdam. Uh, it's much faster than car. Um, mm. But from Antwerp to Amsterdam, it takes an hour and fifteen minutes by train. By car, it's easily two hours. That uh, I, I also see on those trains, Thales trains, that usually they're pretty full. Which I mean, it's a good sign. Uh, so I'm yes. not complaining. Uh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about EAIE then, and talk about how traveling sustainably fits together with EAIE's kind of. Um, goals and and what they see for the future, particularly as EAIE is a signatory of the Canny Accord uh, and helped also to to build that. How does EAIE take its approach towards reconciling this complicated relationship between internationalization and sustainability? Well, uh, I have to distinguish a little bit between what we do as an association and then how we see, let's say, our sector that we are working in. Uh, but um, uh, I think we are always trying to balance different um, uh, values, different uh, objectives. Um, I believe very strongly, and that's as we said at the beginning, that's also the reason I, I've been working in this sector for such a long time is that I feel it's an important, it's important work that we're doing, um, you know, building uh, international awareness among students, um, hopefully international solidarity and uh, empathy uh, and trust um, and collaboration. So uh, those are very important values in our work. Um, and we build those values uh, by having um, uh, exchange and 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 uh, um, creating opportunities for conversations between people from different cultures and countries, so and that involves travel, um, and that comes at a cost, uh, both you know financially, but definitely uh, environmental cost as well and social cost. So um, it's important. We, the reason why we signed the Kenya Accord with the EAIE is because we feel. Uh, that uh, climate action is essential. Uh, we feel it should be a top priority. Uh, 
and that um, we also want to do our parts and uh, as an association. Part of it is changing our behavior, but it's also very much about um, spreading awareness and literacy about sustainability and, and climate action among our staff, but also uh, the students. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the balance we're trying to find. Uh, also our conference, our conference is a very big event. We had 6,300 people in, in Barcelona. It's the, it was the, our biggest event ever, uh, the biggest conference in international education in Europe. So that comes at a cost, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way we look at it is that we want to reduce our negative impact our, uh, on uh, emissions and, and the climate, but at the same time we want to maximize our impact in the work that we're doing in, in building that international awareness and solidarity, because that's also an essential piece in solving uh, the problem. If we, if we don't keep uh, building international solidarity, I think, will be further and further away from from solving well uh, the the climate uh, issue. Uh, so that's yeah, it's it's a balance, and the the key is in um, having more and more fact based information, uh, evidence based uh, knowledge about the climate, about the effect of the of our behavior on the climate. And to have a more mindful and purposeful approach uh, to uh, travel, mobility, and, and other uh, activities that have uh, negative impact on the climate. So to make sure that when we um, travel, for example, that we only do that for uh, um, a purpose that's really worth it. That, uh, that, you know, whatever meeting we're going to, we are sure that you know, we prepared it well, we worked on it by having, for example, online meetings, and then we do think it's important to meet in person, to have that personal connection, to build the trust, and so on. Uh, but then to do that in a very mindful and purposeful way. Also the same for our students when they go on uh, international mobility, to make sure that that's um, done in a purposeful way, that we can make sure we maximize the benefit and that we also include uh, activities that have to do with um, raising awareness about local issues in the different places where they go, how the climate, how climate change is affecting um, play, different places and different populations. And so to, to make sure that we use those opportunities uh, that are uh, still very valuable of going physically to another place uh, to, to make sure that we use them in the, in the best way possible to also work on solutions and work on international and uh, awareness. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about finding that balance. Uh, we think it's important to, to keep traveling for that purpose, uh, mm -hmm. but then of course, for every occasion, finding the most sustainable way to do that, uh, train travel when possible. Um, um, and and then yeah, as I said, make sure that we we do it in a purposeful way. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here just a little bit, but are there any particular initiatives that EAIE is pushing forward? It might have to do with students. It might have to do with um, informing employees, employees, etc. Uh, regarding that, regarding this balance, any initiatives yeah. you'd like to highlight? Well, if you look at um, our conference, the past conference in Barcelona, and if you look at on our website, we have many different resources. We have 
uh, a blog, we have podcasts, we have a uh, forum uh, member magazine. I think climate action has probably been one of the top topics we've, we've highlighted in all those uh, ways uh, in the past uh, years. Uh, so that's, I think that's the ma main thing we can do is to, to really spread awareness, spread uh, examples of how people uh, work on climate action uh, in their institutions, in their education, in their research. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the main thing. And then, um, for example, just as an example, uh, at our Barcelona conference, uh, we provide catering, uh, lunch catering, uh, coffee breaks and so on. But everything was uh, vegetarian for the first time ever, which in in Spain in in Barcelona is not the most obvious thing. Uh, but it doesn't uh, sound like it would be it, easy. <laughs> but it's it's. I mean, I I don't really like purely symbolic actions, but this is mm. at the same time it's a little bit symbolic, but it also has a real impact. I mean, feeding mm -hmm. six thousand three hundred people for a couple of days and not using any meat. Uh, products is it does make a real difference uh, so and it's also showing people by example that it's possible you know people won't miss even people who do eat meat uh, won't miss uh, the uh, you know eating meat for if it's a couple of days uh, and it does make a real difference so uh, and we for example we also provide um, as part of the conference uh, registration we provide a free public transportation card uh, to all the participants in the conference so they can use public transportation uh, instead of uh, taxis. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we look systematically at every aspect of, of uh, organizing events uh, and, and try to choose the most uh, sustainable option. Uh, so that's that's one part of it. And then the other part is really more in the contents of, of our sessions and all our different publications is spreading awareness and, and information. Uh, so that our members and participants can take that home and hopefully use it in their uh, their own practice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious about the the um, the public transportation card. Is that just a, a one time thing, or is it for the duration? No, of we've the done conference? it. Uh, well, it's for the duration of the conference. Yes, so it's unlimited travel for the the days of the of the conference. And I, I remember we've we've done that. I, th I think I remember it even from 10, 15 years ago, we did that already. That's really uh, cool. That that makes yeah. me just excited if I ever get to go to one of these conferences with EIE. I'm like, oh, great. I'll, I'll be able to go see the place I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's, I mean, we don't have to be negative all the time or pessimistic about, uh, I think, uh, uh, hope is our only hope and um, we uh, we do uh, we are passionate about um, meeting people from different places seeing different places and to make the most of that uh, and and that's still I think very important it's just um, a matter of balancing as I said and looking for the most sustainable way possible to do it yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this has been really interesting. I'm glad we were kind of ending on this conversation. But just to wrap us up, Pete, are there any resources that you would recommend to our listeners or anyone who might be watching us um, that you've been able to use and found really useful or that you think others will find useful in terms of keeping informed about sustainable travel choices? Um, well, yeah. 
as I said earlier, it's a bit of a, of a search sometimes to, to when it's really specifically about about travel and train travel. It's it's a bit tricky, but uh, I did see some very interesting posts uh, on LinkedIn. We have a travel with Canny group. Uh, there are already some really interesting posts in there uh, with people, you know, posting links to to very useful websites. As I said on on the. EIE website, we have the, the blog and we have the podcast. There are several entries there that are really interesting. Um, I also, one thing I, I would like to plug is something I just discovered is, is a channel on YouTube. It's a, a German scientist. Her name is Sabine Hossenfelder. And I just saw an, uh, a video she made about can we make flying green or something is the title. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting um explanation and then kind of based on serious science um, about you know what are the different ways that um, options how flying specifically uh, could become more sustainable in the future well the spoiler is that it's it's not looking great I think uh, mm. flying will be uh, uh, will have a negative impact for for many years to come so it's uh, mm. we do have to be very mindful of that but just mentioning it as a as an interesting resource. Um, she she makes uh, videos about many different scientific uh, uh, topics, uh, some related to climate, but others not. But it's really interesting. For, and I think that's part of what we also have to do as educators is encourage people to... I'm, I studied law. I don't know anything about science, but I'm, I'm interested. And uh, I think uh, it's it's encouraging people to to get informed, to learn outside of their own uh, you know, specific field of study and, and try to see a bigger picture because climate action is a perfect example of where you have to look at scientific aspects, but also social aspects and, and, and many different uh, ways to look at the problem. Uh, and, that's, uh, and having conversations about it with people from different backgrounds is very important. I have a professor who talks about how interdisciplinary subjects and, and um degrees, uh, as it were, are forming because the problems in the world are becoming more and more complex. And climate change is certainly one of those problems that requires all of those different views. Yeah, and, and no one has all the detailed knowledge in their mind to to be able to, to you know, solve the problem by themselves. So that's essential to, and for us in our sector, that's actually a very important part of what we do is bringing people from different with different uh, types of knowledge and experience together and have conversations about these these issues. That's in my mind. That's that's one of the most important things we do, um, both with an association like the EAE, but in all of our daily work as well. Or when we're on trains from <laughs> exactly. point A to point B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pete, thank you so much for joining the Canny Climate Dialogues today. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Canny Climate Dialogues. If you want to get involved with Travel with Canny, check out the LinkedIn group, Travel with Canny, all capital letters, where people traveling sustainably are sharing their itineraries and connecting with colleagues also making the choice to lower their travel emissions. You can find a link to the group in the show notes. Two quick, easy climate actions you can take today are to subscribe to and rate our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave a comment and let us know what you think. We'd also like to remind our listeners that Canny is a volunteer-run and led organization. 
If you have felt inspired by this episode today, please consider heading to our website, canny.org, and making a donation to help our operations and growth.